reading this morning is from Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it will be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, if you would have a seat this morning, I'm carrying with me, unusually, a bottle of water because I feel like uh, for several months out of the year, I like kind of tread a uh, bridge on the roof of my life, which is like the one side is just letting allergies get out of control, and the other one is like taking enough Allegra to where it's just like my mouth uh, has no water in it. And so this morning, I've got a bottle of water with me, uh, but I need, I need some help this morning, not just for that, but also for uh, just standing in front of the Word of God and, and trusting it to do what it's uh, uh, promised to do. So if you would, pray with me. God and Father, we pray that you would bless your word this morning, Lord, that it would be, as it always is, uh, sharper than any two-edged sword cutting to bone and marrow in our lives. Father, I also just pray that in your great grace, you would give us understanding and clarity, but then also transformation in our lives because of it. Uh, Lord, we give you great thanks that you have spoken to us. Lord, let our hearts respond now uh, in the spirit and in the grace of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. So uh, we are going to be in Psalm 128 this morning. We're going to spend the majority of our time there, but I do have a quick question for you this morning, and it's one that is going to be familiar to you, and you might wonder why it is that I would bring up such a heavy topic, but I want to ask you this morning, are you happy? Uh, I want you to pay attention in some ways just to the initial answer in your soul this morning. Are you happy? Because we're going to be dealing with that a lot this morning, the theme of happiness. And you might look at this piece of scripture and just go, I don't, I don't see that theme. I don't see the word written here. But what we need to acknowledge at some level is, is that the question of your happiness is a serious matter. It's actually one of the most important questions, not for you to know the answer to, but to know how to answer. So that's what we're actually going to be after this morning is how to answer that question. Many of us decide if we are happy based on our emotions, the kind of day that we're having, the kind of week that we are having, the kind of season that we are in. That is, generally speaking, how we answer the question, are we happy? If somebody asks you, how are you doing? You kind of think back over the last few days, over the last few weeks in the season that you're in, and you come up with either an honest or a uh, false answer to that question. We do that all the time. We recite those answers to one another. Others don't just look at the days around. Others measure their capacity for happiness based on the amount of material prosperity that they experience in their lives. If, uh, if you have lots of things, you are happy. Uh, when people say that they're unhappy when they have lots of material things, it doesn't make sense to us somehow for some reason. So all of us at some level or another try to answer this question in terms of the capacity of what kind of material possession we have and are experiencing. I think that many of us are genuinely unhappy 
You're like, man, what an intro this morning, Pastor. Uh, You're going to tell me that I'm unhappy? Many of you know that I know that you're experiencing a lot of unhappiness, and it doesn't necessarily do us any good for us to pretend otherwise. But, but here are two reasons why I think that we experience a great deal of unhappiness in our lives. I think that we have been raised in a generation, most of us, that have been uh, celebrated. The expectations have been set very high with uh, honorary trophies, and uh, there is no second place. There's just everybody gets something. You're supposed to make something of yourself. You're supposed to go to college college and waiting on the other side of that will be the job of your dreams, the spouse of your dreams, the family of your dreams, the experiences of your dreams, the vacation of your dreams, the material blessings of your dreams, the homes of your dreams. We were all told you're a very celebrated person. Let us celebrate you, launch into life of success and nothing else. And so we have set within us all of these expectations of the glory of life, and then we meet it. We meet life we see that there is actually a great deal of tragedy. We see that there is death and despair. We see that there is uh, day in and day out of monotony. And we just confront all of these expectations that we have and we realize that they are unmet. But there's a second reason why I think that many of us experience a lot of unhappiness. And it's not just unmet expectations. It can also be just looking for your happiness in all of the wrong places. That's not like, you know, a grand idea that's coming uniquely from me. All of us know at some level that we search for happiness in the wrong places. How do we know that? Because we find what we're looking for and we're still unhappy. I think that there are many of us who not just uh, have unmet expectations or looking at it in the wrong or looking for it in the wrong places. I think that there are many of us that actually obtain a fleeting and cheap happiness only to discover the fracturings in the foundations. We built out some cheap level of happiness on a foundation that was never meant to support the hopes and dreams that we had. We're just building in the wrong place. Psalm 128 confronts those realities, and it offers us in the midst of a lot of unhappiness, perhaps, a more substantial framework for abiding happiness, something that will stand on a firm foundation. And here's where I think the psalm meets us this morning. It has a promise for us. It says that faithful families... Faithful families will actually experience flourishing in fear of the Father. Faithful families will flourish in fear of the Father. But we've got a couple of waypoints that we've got to hit this morning. We've got to understand how to be happy. That's the first kind of marker that we're looking for as we discover this, uh, this message this morning. We've got to discover how to be happy. Then we've got to discuss men at work. And you might be like, well, I'm not a man. What do I care about men being at work? I promise you, you'll care very much about this. We've got to understand how to be happy. We've got to caution men at work. And then the last thing is we've got to understand. We've got to appraise. We've got to uh, take a look, a view at the big blessings that are here in Psalm 128. 
The context for us this morning is the same as it has been. We're marching through the Psalms of Ascent. These Psalms of Ascent were meant to take us up in a rising fashion towards worship. And we found ourselves for the last two weeks in the midst of two Psalms that are wisdom Psalms. They're a lot like Proverbs. They have proverbial wisdom for them, but they're poetic. And they're written out for us to understand as a part of an ascent into worship. And you might be tempted to ask, how in the world do these wisdom Psalms mean anything for us by way of ascending into worship. God does not want, we know, for his people to be unwise, but why in the world do we have wisdom psalms leading us into worship? And here's what I want you to know. It's a matter of priority. It's very difficult, maybe even impossible, for you to ascend into worship with the wrong priorities. And so what this wisdom psalm is going to do is ask us a question of what is it that you value in this life? What will make you happy? And that's where we come to our first point this morning. How to be happy. How to be happy. You might think, Chris, you, you've really gone off like that Joel Osteen edge talking about happiness. But what I want you to know is that understanding how to be happy is serious business. And we're going to see it here starting in verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his way. This psalm begins and ends with blessing. You'll notice, you can see it right there in the text. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. Blessing is at the bookends. It's in the beginning and the end. Blessed is who? It's everyone. Blessed is everyone. So we're going to talk about men here in a moment, but it begins by talking about everybody who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. But for us to get this, for us to understand what it is to be blessed in fear of the Lord and walking in his ways, we've got to understand those two words. We've got to understand what is meant by fear and what is meant by his ways. First, fear when you hear the word fear, you don't imagine that it's something that the Lord would ever ascribe to himself, call you into, ask you to be a part of. Hey, fear me. Blessed will you be if you fear me. Why? Because when we use the word fear, typically it's in the uh, context of something that's very scary, something that could bring some amount of physical injury to us. We feel fear when somebody cuts us off on the road just by a hair. We feel fear whenever somebody shouts at us. We feel fear and unsafe when there are things that threaten our lives, our livelihood, our culture, our family. We feel fear all the time. So why is it, how is it that we can understand fear in this context? Because this is a fear that results in blessing rather than injury. So this is not your normal kind of fear. We need to define it, as it were. A, a, a word that I would not like to redefine, I don't want to reuse, I want to use the word fear, just like it says, but that I want you to use in context with this kind of fear is reverence. I want you to imagine that you have gotten into a submarine with glass windows all around and began descending and lower and lower into the vastness of the sea. I want you to imagine that you're there exposed to the weight of the ocean that is doing no evil, no harm. But the vastness of that weight pressing in from every side of that submarine, as you descend uh, lower and lower into these uh, ocean floor valleys, you get some sense of fear, some sense of reverence and awe and respect for the enormity, the immensity of the ocean. 
I want you to imagine for one moment that you've gone to the Grand Canyon and you're not seeing it from far off. You're standing right there on the edge, peering over, and you see this large canyon out in front of you. And just knowing that as you look at all these massive boulders, larger than homes, some of them, as you see this raging river just so threaded in the very lowest part of that valley, as you see all of that red rock staring back at you, you get some sense of the humility of your station in this life. You get some sense that you are small in comparison to this big thing. You get some sense of danger if you were to step off. It's not a fear of what might harm you. It's a fear, it's an awe, it's a respect, it's a reverence for the bigness of these things. I want you to imagine for a moment that uh, you have been ushered into a king's court. And this king is very powerful. He's very wise. He has the ability to uh, send armies off to conquer nations. He has the ability to seek counsel from the wisest counselors. He has the ability to do anything that he wills. And you step in and you've had all of these people telling you, you never turn your back to the king. You don't make jokes about the king. You don't maybe even look him in the eyes because there's a certain amount of due respect that this king deserves. You would be, in some sense, not fearful for your life. You would feel privileged to be there in the immensity of it all, in the celebration, the tradition, all of the uh, scarlet uh, things flowing from uh, the rafters, all of the big pieces of stone that were purposefully cut to create a grandness of space. You would get a sense of just fear, a sense of occasion. You would have something like that. I think that for most of us, these kinds of things maybe stand a little bit far off. What I would tell you is I've got a grandfather. He's 96 years old. He's losing his hearing. He's a person that I don't see very often, but he's the patriarch of our home. And even though he's deteriorating in his age and finds it hard to get up out of chairs, I have an awesome respect for this man. He's uh, worked and lived his entire life in uh, dutiful faithfulness. And I've been uh, a receiver of a lot of that faithfulness, just uh, threading its way through the generations and ending up in my hands. I have an awesome respect for my grandfather. I would fear a situation where um, I might uh, disrespect him in some way. That's the kind of fear that we're talking about. If you see this word fear in the pages of Scripture and it's a turn off to you, what I want you to know is that this Lord, the one that is here in this text, deserves your respect, your reverence, even your fear. What does all of this have to do with happiness? Well, first we have to understand that verse 2 says that after you uh, get the fact that blessed is everyone who fears in the Lord, and walks in his ways. You've got to understand that walking in his ways is like an Old Testament Hebrew uh, way of talking about how you walk out in the law and the commandments. You, the, we get the idea that here we are supposed to not just revere the Lord, but actually be obedient to his commandments, and that verse 2, you shall eat the fruit of your, the labor of your hands, and you shall be blessed, and it will be well with you. So we see a few things that are arising out of the fear, out of the way that we are to live. We are to see that there is this if and then statement. If you walk in fear of the Lord, then you will reap the fruit of the seeds sown in obedience. 
and then it will go well with you. I don't necessarily think that this is even like one of those your best life now kinds of things. I don't think that what this is saying is that if you obey God, he will just heap material blessings on you. I think it's more intrinsic than that. I think that it is if you obey the Father out of reverence and respect, you will lead a good life. It will actually go well with you. We get a very similar uh, promise in the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother and it will go well with you. We get a promise that there is some sort of blessing on the other side of obedience. But also, it says that you shall be blessed. Now, here, I am not a Hebrew scholar, but if you were to go to the interlinary, I can't say that word ever, but like the, the, the Hebrew text, and you were to get um, the meaning of this word in its original context, somebody would have heard maybe not as much blessing. I think it's translated here rightly, blessing, because it talks a lot about blessedness, but it's actually a different word than the ones that are surrounding it. It is arake, arake. And it's better translated, you shall be happy. What this verse is saying is, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of your labor and you shall be happy. It shall be well with you. When we talk about this problem of happiness, it's something that this psalm actually speaks to. It doesn't use the word necessarily for blessedness. It doesn't use the word necessarily for joy. It doesn't necessarily use the word that you would translate gladness. It's translated happiness. If you live a life of reverential respect and obedience to the Lord, then you will reap happiness. That's what this psalm promises you. Does your life have you stuck in a cycle of distress and discontent? Does this life have you stuck in a cycle of depressive emotions? What this psalm would tell you is fear the Lord and walk in his ways. Get a fuller view of who God is in his word. Pray that God would reveal himself to you so that there might be a right fear within you. And you might be saying, Chris, I've done that. I've gone to his word. I've, uh, I prayed that God would uh, intersect with my life in ways that bring about awesome respect. What I will tell you is, is that if you con- are confronted by the Lord, there will be an awesome respect. The more and more incrementally that you are encountering the Lord, the more there will be an awesome respect in your heart for the Lord. Isaiah is confronted with the Lord. He, he sees in some sense, is, is confronted with the glory, the holiness of the Lord. And what does he say? He says, woe to me, woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips. When he's confronted with the glory of God, there is nothing but humility that comes out of that and awesome respect for the power, the holiness, the righteousness of the Father. Get a fuller view of God. Encounter him more in his word. Pray that God would reveal, just like he did with Isaiah, his awesome righteousness. If you're stuck in a cycle of distress and discontent and depressive emotion, you might fear, but you might also walk. You're going to want to walk out in those commandments. 
So here it talks about the way being the commandments, the law. You want to understand that you have not done that in areas of your life and that there is a need for repentance. There's a need for turning away from it. We have a group of guys who's going through a leadership development kind of uh, um, phase right now where we're hoping that we can have some really good godly men end up in eldership and uh, in the office of deacon. And we, were spending, we spent some of our time this last week actually talking about the necessity of confession. The first step in repentance is identifying sin, is knowing and understanding that you are a sinner and that there are particular sins, particularly and that you are actually to confess those things to the Lord. And so the question that I have for you, when I ask, are you walking in the way? Are you repenting? Are you doing his commandments when you fall short? Is also to ask you, have you confessed those things to the Lord? It's very, very difficult. Very, very difficult to assess your life, to see the areas of need and disobedience, then confess those to the Lord, and then to live in a way that does not confront who God is in his righteousness. You're perpetually talking about these things with a father who cares for you. But here's where I want for us to understand that we can never do this perfectly. Maybe, in fact, you uh, do repent, you do confess these things, but you find the more and more you do, the more and more areas there are to confess your failing. This is where we have to have a deep understanding of the gospel. We have to read verse 1, blessed is the man who walks in his way. And what we have to do is go back to last week when we were talking about Jesus, saying that he builds a place for you. Where he says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare this place for you, I will bring you with me that where I am, you may be always. But then he says this, you know the way. He says, you know the way. And Thomas says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And for a lot of us, you're maybe even sitting there this morning going, okay, I get that the way is kind of uh, associated in the Old Testament with obedience to commands, but what is the way now? How do I follow his way? I hear you talking about obedience to commands, but I'm constantly failing at that. How can I continue to go along the way? And this is where Jesus speaks to us. He says, you do know the way because you know the person. Jesus says to him, I am the way. I'm the truth and the life. I am the way. Jesus says to you, when you get off of the way, when you uh, need to repent, when you need to confess, Jesus tells you, I'm the way. I'm the only way for you and your sinful nature to be uh, able to meet up with God the Father. He tells us, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the one true way. That is the message of the gospel. Jesus fulfills all of those commands that you never could, and then he beckons you, come, follow me. I'll teach you to be a fisher of men. This is the essence of what it means to be a disciple, is to follow Jesus. Not just his teaching. Are you going after him? Are you building a relationship, a reliance, a respect for your Savior, Jesus? And for most of us, we go, I'm trying. I am. But I need more. I want more. I think Jesus wants that same thing. 
So he beckons you in the midst of this gospel message to continue on, I am the way. This is how to be happy. This is how to be happy. And I wonder if you believe it. I wonder if you believe it and if you will faithfully live that out or if you will choose to stay stuck in unhappiness. I know what it is like to sit in the midst of a cycle of sin. My entire life, I sit in the midst of uh, pet sins, trying to uh, coddle them, foster them, protect them. Don't mess with this sin. I want this sin. I want to keep this sin. And constantly, I have a confrontation with God the Father's righteousness where he's beckoning me, come out of the sin, come out of that cycle of sin, sorrow, shame, and just follow Jesus. I want to do the same thing with you because I believe in my soul that this is how to be happy. Fear the Lord, walk in the way. When you depart from the way, realize that Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. That is how to be happy. But next, what we need to see is is that this psalm turns its attention from everyone who fears the Lord to men. I wonder if you notice this here. I know that uh, it's, uh, it's uncomfortable to depart from something where I'm talking to all people and just talk to one specific group of people. I, I, I want, I've entitled this section specifically, Men at Work. Okay, you remember those old signs? You don't see them anymore. I think that they didn't, they didn't withstand uh, you know, some of the cultural, political pressures. You're not going to see a caution, Men at Work sign anymore. You're not going to see that. Uh, listen, I just got off of a, uh, a big building project where uh, two of the construction managers were ladies, and they did amazing, awesome work. It was a joyful thing to work. You know what they weren't doing? They weren't hauling a 20-ton I-beam of steel and, like, welding it, bolting it together. They weren't laying bricks. And if you uh, say to me, Chris, you're sounding pretty old-fashioned here. Or maybe even you're saying, hey, you're sounding pretty wicked. Here, what I want you to hear me saying is something respectful. I think after this section, you'll see what I mean at this. Men at work. It says that we eat the fruit of our labor. What is the fruit? Verse 3. Look at it with me. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall a man be blessed who fears the Lord. So if uh, men, you're wondering, how is it that I live in happiness? You fear the Lord, you obey his commandments, you walk in the way of Jesus. Now, what does life look like? What work should you be giving yourself to? What does a life of fearful reverence looks like? It looks like men being married and raising blessed children. It says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine, your children will be like olive shoots. How many men consider the fruit of happy life to be material things rather than a blessed family? How many men uh, consider the way to blessing a vocation, a career that they dedicate their time to and neglect their family to? Here we see that a blessed man a father-fearing man, a way-walking man of God devotes himself to work at home on their families. 
This is a life's work. I, I met with a couple a few years ago, and they were asking really legitimate, good questions about uh, just biblical roles for men and women. And I was asked the question, do you think that a uh, woman's place is in the home? Now, d- despite all of the fact that that probably arises some amount of like anxiety in you to hear me even ask that from a stage like this, I want you to know that my answer was yes. But I turned to him and I said, I think your place is in the home too. Why? Because I think that the primary work that God gives us, the blessed work, the fearful work, is at home. The thing that uh, qualifies me to even try to utter a word about God's word is not some theological degree. I don't have it, frankly. It's the way that in God's grace and through a lot of failings, I lead my family. I love my wife. I love my children. And however fraught that is, the closer you get to my life, you will figure out it is very fraught. But by God's blessing, this is my life's work. My family is my life's work. If you fear the Lord, men, you will take a wife. You will plant her in a healthy home. You will nourish her with love. You'll do that. I'm calling you to it. God's word is calling you to it. Men, this is the work that is in front of you. If you fear the Lord, you'll take a wife, you'll plant her in a healthy home, you'll nourish her, but then she will be, what does this verse say? Like a fruitful vine in your home. Trust me, you want a healthy and fruitful vine. Many of us have heard that like damnable statement, happy wife, happy life. Okay, here's why I say that it's that. It's because I think what that word is meant to communicate, happy wife, is that if you can please your wife, then you'll have a pleasant life. The entire reason for that statement is so that you can live a life of ease. So if you can just figure out what, like, you know, uh, uh, keeps your wife, like, you know, liking life, you'll be happy too. That's not at all what this verse is saying. What it's saying is, is that if you have a healthy wife, If you cultivate your wife, if you cultivate health within your wife, you will have a happy life. That's what I think that this verse is saying. You don't want a withering vine at home. Men, you do not want to see your wife languish. You don't want to see her shrivel. You don't want to see her uh, dreams dissipated and destroyed. You don't want that kind of vine at home. You know what you also don't want? You don't want a vine with bitter fruits. You don't want to plant this vine and then neglect it and then come back to try to experience the blessing that I think that God has for us in marriage and take that taste and be like, oh man, all that is here is unhappiness, anger, and bitterness at me. You don't want that kind of vine. You don't want untamed, wild overgrowth in your vine. You don't want that vine going under the fence and trying to find light in somebody's yard. You don't want it growing over the fence and finding other places where it can have light shine on you. You don't want that kind of vine. Men, you do not want the kind of vine that is overshadowed by you. 
I see many men actually probably shrink back most of the time. I think most men are really passive and they don't try to assertively like love and foster and nourish and cherish their wives. I, I see a lot of that, but you know what I do also see? I see biblical men that take verses like this, twist and contort it for their own purposes, and they say, I'm going to go make much of myself. I'm going to build some big, grand tree that overshadows my wife, and then guess what she doesn't get? She doesn't get any of God's light. She doesn't get any love or tender care or nourishment. You don't want that kind of vine in your home. You don't want it. Can I be bold with you, beloved men? You don't want a wife. You don't want a vine who is choked out by the weeds of your sin. And so here's what I want to tell you boldly this morning. Men, if you are not cultivating the vine in your home, you need to repent. You need to turn away from that utter wickedness. And you need to do something altogether different. What kind of vine are you, you should ask your wife. What kind of vine do you want to be? Understanding that answer is going to help you know and understand the things that you are to work at, that you are to cultivate. Why? Because if you do not fear the Lord, you will fear your wife. If you do not respect the Lord, she will not respect you. If you do not cultivate your wife, she will be cultivated by another. And don't hear me just say that she will run into the arms of another man. She will be cultivated, cultivated by other resources. She will believe different things than you. She will go to different media sources that are telling her what she needs to believe. I see this all the time. Men are not leading their homes, and so Fox News does, CNN does. Some nonsense book that's telling her some wicked untruth is trying to grow her in a much more distorted way, and you let that go too long, and you go, oh no, this vine, I have not tended to it, I have not cared for it, I have not cherished it. If you do not love her, she will not love you. That's what's at stake when I look at this verse, that's what I see. That's why I'm being bold with you this morning. Men, you cannot be worthless leaders. You've got to lead in your home. But that leadership does not look oppressive. It doesn't look unkind. It doesn't look ungentle or unpeaceful. It doesn't look mean-spirited or cutting. It doesn't mean diminutive. Men. Jesus has a bride and he works on her. I wonder if you know it. You've heard it at almost every single, every single Christian wedding that you've ever been to. Ephesians 5 is recited over you. Christ loves the church and he gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. That's the kind of husband that the bride has, and that's the kind of husband that your wife needs. It's not the kind of husband that she deserves, but it's the kind that models Jesus, and his loving likeness in you needs to be fostering that towards her. It says, in this way, a man will leave his father and mother, and he will hold fast. He will secure, he will adhere to, and they will become one flesh. They will be one. I wonder, does this describe your relationship with your wife? Are you taking responsibility for your home? 
This is why Psalm 128 makes much of the family. It's because it's very important and it's critical to a happy life. And it continues on not just to say that uh, we are to cultivate our wives. It actually says the same thing of our children. Look, verse 1, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, verse 3. At the end of verse 3, what does it say? It says, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall a man be blessed who fears the Lord. Your children are your work too. They're your responsibility. They're not the uh, small little things that you're supposed to give to your wife and then run out the door. They are your job. They are your work. Verse 3 says, your children will be like olive shoots around your table. These little shoots are actually intended to grow into mighty fruit-producing trees. Do you know it? Are you working towards it? Are you raising them in fear and instruction? Are you pruning them? Are you discipling them? Are you fertilizing them? Are you watering them? Are you planting them by streams of living water? I wonder if you're doing that with your children. I know that some of you, by God's grace, are, and I'm so encouraged to see it. You'll see a harvest. Here, too, we are acutely aware of the tender care that our children need from fathers. And that's why at the Taylor household, unless it's a baseball game night, we're having, I mean, we are having meals at the table. Never, I mean, I think I'm right in saying this. I don't think we have once ever had dinner where it wasn't like, you know, family film night where we've had the TV on in the background. My wife would never have let that happen. We're not going to do it. Have treasured times where you're pouring into your children, where you're letting those little shoots grow up in the light of the Lord, in the watering of the Spirit. That's what men are supposed to do. A generation of daddy issues ought to end at your front door, in your bedtimes, in your discipline, in your instruction. Now, how can we know that? It's pretty heavy. How can we know that this is actually the way that it's supposed to be? It's because this is what the Lord does. This is what the Lord does. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 says this, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. This verse is describing our Savior, Jesus. He's the shoot. Jesus arises from this supposedly dead stump of Jesse, and it just starts to sprout, and it grows, and then it has branches of righteousness, and we find out that what is a part of it? Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord is a part of this shoot. Jesus, even Jesus, feared, respected, revered the Father. This is what the father did. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. Jesus feared his father and took delight in that fear. And it answered the world's biggest problem. Do you know what the world's biggest problem is? You're like, man, this better be good. 
because that's a pretty big statement. Do you know what the world's biggest problem is that is solved right here in this verse that's spoken to in uh, Psalm 128 and that is actually exemplified there in Isaiah chapter 11? It's the problem of fatherlessness. It's the fatherlessness is the biggest problem in our world. And yes, I'm talking, of course, about those who have been orphaned, those families here this morning that have uh, fostered and adopted. You are doing the Lord's work because what you are doing is imaging forth a father that from the stump of Jesse has adopted us in to his family. He's the one. He's the one that sends Jesus. He's the one that adopts us into his family. The biggest problem in the world is fatherlessness, and the Father solved it in the person of Jesus Christ. The Father sent his Son to make sons and then to bless them. That's what we hear whispers of here in the psalm. So we see that men are to be hard at work, but then there's actually something that comes to all of us if men are. If you're wondering why it is, this final section is called Big Blessings. If you're wondering why it is that maybe you haven't experienced big blessings, I think that one of the answers is is because men have not been allowed to be men. They've not been allowed to be the kind of men, loving and gentle, the kind of men bold and powerful that I think God calls them to be. So you need to be men hard at work, but you need to be doing that with the promise of big blessings. Verse 4, behold, thus a man be blessed who fears the Lord. There's actually blessing, there's flourishing that comes out of fear. The Lord, verse 5, blesses you from Zion. May you see his prosperity. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. The man who fears will be blessed from the sanctuary of the Most High. And those blessings will come not just to him, not just to his family, but they will come in the community of Israel. It says this, may you see your children's children. There's this blessing that's thrown out. Now, we've got this, like, caricature of the mother-in-law who, like, wants her daughter-in-law to go ahead and have babies already. Or uh, that single person where a mom is always just like, hey, when am I going to get those grandchildren? You know that that's a very modern problem? Mother-in-laws didn't have to wait, you know, three centuries ago. Like, this was just part of life. You had children. And here it says, may you see Your children's children, what a blessing that will be. And that something out of that will arise in peace for God's people. Peace be upon Israel. Be fruitful and multiply. And as you do it, God will bring his reign and his rule and his peace on this earth. We see the fruit of the womb. We see the reward in Jesus. We see the blessing of generations and generations of faithful believers, faithful followers of Jesus, and you've inherited it. And this is where I want to conclude this morning. The faithful family flourishes in fear of a father when that faithful father fears the ultimate father. I'm going to say that one more time because I'm talking to you men and then I'm also talking to the uh, talking about the ultimate father. The faithful family flourishes in the fear of a father when that faithful father fears the ultimate father. This is the gospel here in this verse. Men, 
husbands, fathers, put your hands to the work of family. Lead, nourish, tend to the garden that is in your home. If you don't have a home, you have a home here. You can be a part of this family of families. Put your hands to work and you will be blessed by being a blessing. Your primary vocation, your first job is not the one that you go to nine to five. It's the one that is there when you wake up in the morning. It's the one that you were born into. It's the one that you come home to at night. It's the one that you help us build here at City Church. For only by fearing the Father will you be one who is feared, who flourishes, and who is fruitful. We hear all the time about a happy family. That's what I long for here at City Church. Let's pray for that. God and Father, would you make us a happy family here? Lord, not one with dumb smiles on our face, but one that is uh, filled with men who are after your glory, who are after your greatness, who want to be a blessing, who want to be faithful followers of Jesus, who know the fear of you, who know the way that they are saved in Jesus, and who are bringing that gospel to bear in their lives, in the lives of their family, through fear and obedience and trust of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, I ask you that this church would be filled with strong men, and people would take caution, minute work, here at City Church. And Father, I pray for the women here that they would see that as a good thing, that they would relish it, Lord, that they wouldn't hold uh, past failings over their husband, but Lord, that they would um, gently, lovingly, humbly, uh, respectfully cheer their husbands on towards this kind of work and towards victory in their lives. Lord, I pray for these kind of children. I pray for these precious little shoots that you've given us, that we've dedicated ourselves to. Lord, would they just grow into strong, faithful trees, branches of yours in your forever kingdom. Father God, you have built a family and you've included us in it. We're just thankful to be a part of your happy family and pray that you would create one here at City Church. In total humility, And in the grace that you provided us through Jesus, we pray. Amen.